Well, hello and welcome to another Conversations episode on the Didicate podcast. My name is Sam Foles and I'm so glad to be here today with Dan Ames. Dan is Associate Director at the Union School of Theology and Lecturer in Systematic and Historical Theology. He's also a local church minister. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Sam. Great to be on with you. Great to be with you. We were just saying earlier, it's been it's been a long time since we've seen each other. Uh, as you say, I think the last time uh, we were together, we were playing uh, Christmas carols in June. I think it was something like that anyway. Uh, but it's great to see you again. And you, yeah, great to chat. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about yourself, mate. Yeah, I, um, I uh, live just outside Oxford um, in a little town called Abingdon. And uh, as you say, I work um, for this ministry called Union, which is... Uh, it's been a really exciting time for us. Um, I, I joined when the ministry was almost like in sort of startup mode. Mm-hmm. And we've had just a great encouraging few years of growth um, as a ministry. And if I could sort of describe what we do, we, we almost struggle to describe it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we like to say we, we, we want to think of ourselves as being like an ecosystem for growing healthy churches. Um, so a lot of what we do is is uh, is um, raising up leaders. So we do theology degrees, um, but they they are about as as uh, as flexible as possible. So the idea is that you can get um, you know Bible college, theological college, seminary level education, you know everything across the board, like good good theological grounding, biblical languages, all of that, but have it in the most accessible, flexible way possible, so that. Um, maybe you could stay in the church where you've already started ministering or um, you can you can keep your, uh, you know, up and coming young leaders close by and mentor them while they study um, so they can plan or become associate ministers or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and then we've basically found as soon as we started doing that, people were saying to us, um, we'd, we'd love to give money to church planting in Europe, particularly. Um, we've never really been sure how to give it. But now you're doing this training like on the ground in local churches we'd like to use you as a conduit to give money. And so we found ourselves with this whole kind of network of, of really generous donors. Um, um, we've been able to channel, channel over a million, 1.2, 1.3 million pounds into church planting over the last, just over the last few years. Um, and that's led to us also then getting involved in supporting church planters with, with resources, publishing books, that kind of thing. Um, so the idea is to sort of raise, deploy and support um, leaders for the church. And uh, it's just hugely exciting. What a wonderful thing to be involved in. Oh, so exciting. And those who are listening can check out uh, more about Union uh, on, on your website. It's uniontheology.org, is it? Or what um, is it? Yeah, you can get to it through that. And um, probably the place to start is, is is a slightly funny web address. It's theola.gy. So it's like theology, but with a dot before the GY. Nice. And that's the place you can find out about all of those the, there's kind of four parts to union they they all um you show you how they all fit together on that website and you can find your way into whichever part of it is most interesting to you, you know whether <laughs> it's funding for your church plan or resources or getting a theology degree whatever it is so you can kind of get it all there brilliant brilliant and we've made so much uh, use of, of the union materials in our church here in manchester so look the, the dedicated podcast it's about looking to the scriptures and uh, to the church of the past to be the church of the present and dan you're you're a perfect guest for this show you love Jesus, you love the scriptures, and you love church history. And so I'm looking forward to, to getting into this conversation together. And mm-hmm. we'll talk a bit about theology and discipleship a bit later on. And perhaps we'll get into church planting in church history as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, there's a lot of talk about crises at the moment. And uh, perhaps one we don't talk about enough is the ecclesiological crises, the crisis. 
and something I'm sure we could talk a lot more about. But in terms of church planting and growth, what we're talking about on this podcast, one way I think we can push back against this crisis is to know what we're planting and growing. So Dan, on this podcast, I'd like to start by asking, first of all, what is church? Yeah, that's got to be the question, hasn't it, really? Mm. Um, I think it's really easy and a bit tempting to define the church in, um, I guess, in kind of sociological ways or human-centred ways, looking at, you know, what happens when these people get together, what do they do, and how do we brand ourselves and all those kind of things. Um, And so we might say, you know, the church is the community of those people who profess faith in Jesus Christ or a local fellowship of believers or whatever. And they're all kind of, they, those are fine up to a point, aren't they? Um, those definitions, they do capture something. Um, but what they tend to do, I think, is maybe just begin with the individual believer and then kind of turn them into a, a plural. So I'm saying, well, I'm a Christian over here in my life and in my house and with my family and my mates or whatever. And then sometimes we get together as well with people who are close by who are a bit, a bit like me. And at that point, we become this this other thing called the church and we have some meetings and we have some programs and all of that. Um, trouble is we're defining the church there in a, yeah, a kind of anthropological way or a sociological way. Um, that's like a human, a human centered or a, 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 at least a human started view of, of the church. And I think what we want to do all the time when we can is to think about everything in a Christ centered way. Think about it, mm-hmm. Jesus first. I think when we do that, we 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 start to think about the church from the point of view of Jesus, and we say, well, the Bible speaks about the church as being Jesus's body and Jesus's bride, and those kind of pictures, which suddenly are they're not about us as individuals; they're suddenly about something spiritual and cosmic and theological, and way beyond just me and my friends and what we happen to do on a Sunday or like on a Wednesday night or whatever. Um, it's Jesus's right jesus's body jesus's purchase jesus's inheritance and it, when we begin with him we just get a completely different picture of it um i guess you know when we talk about a crisis in the church there's there's all kinds of scandals that people have been discussing over the last years um those aren't new things maybe they get more airtime now than they used to i don't know um, all kinds of stuff happens I, I just wonder if sometimes when we do start with those very human-centered um, and human beginning uh, views of church that maybe does lead us to um, maybe an obsession with like techniques to try and grow our numbers and that's important loads of <clears throat> management insights from the secular and business world and let's be really pragmatic when it comes to trying to get people through the door and bums on seats and um, maybe an over focus on like leadership and strategy and branding and all of that maybe even then beyond that into like a bit of bullying and abuse and manipulation and control and it's just because you have well it's just some people who are together and how do we best manage them uh, I, you know if i'm a church leader how do, how do i best keep this lot in control kind of thing mm. and that's not that's not the, like the heart of the good shepherd um when we start with jesus and we know we're dealing with his his precious body his precious bride it might be that uh you know our outlook on what we're doing what we're dealing with, our role in it as leaders, that might suddenly be transformed when we, when we start with him. Mm. So, I, yeah, I'd want to say let's define the church, not sociologically or anthropologically, but Christologically, like with Christ. This is this is the this unique spiritual reality of those people who are actually united to God the Son for eternity, 
um they're like organically part of them his his body his bride and that something i'm i'm part of something i'm called to be a kind of a leader in but really only as an like as scripture says an under shepherd to jesus who's who's really the one who's looking after us i think if we make sure we, we keep that that big like cosmic theological definition sharp um that's going to be the foundation of everything for us that's so good man that's so good so keeping jesus at the center of church and how we think about church and you want to say that that then actually spills out into how we how we are church and rather than focusing on leadership development missional strategies social transformation which are all important start with jesus define church around him and then all that stuff will flow yeah it's an it's it's it sometimes feels like a slightly kind of maybe like a nerdy sort of theoretical thing to say and um maybe some people react against it but it's one of those things that is absolutely true the whole time what we what we think what we commit ourselves to theologically is always going to work itself out in our practice mm-hmm. and if we just think look the theology is fine and someone's got to do that it's for you know people who like libraries but i'm like a, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a kind of an action person i want to get things done i want to I want to see people come to faith i want the, the church to grow i'm going to jump into the kind of the practice stuff um and i'll leave the theology the fact is there is there always is some theology you've got some commitments and convictions you've got some view of god you've got some definition of the church going on behind all of that and if you've not paid any attention to it how's that going to work out in your practice um it it's kind of like a it's like a a bit of a, a false idea that you you could just get stuff done without thinking about theology because you have got some and it's happening uh, it's being worked out and if you've got i don't know if you've got theology that has a poor view of god you're going to have a whole church under your leadership with a poor view of god mm. and so on so yeah the the stuff that is at the at the core of our convictions and our, our values our, our theology especially our theology of who who god is what he's like it's it's all going to get worked out like it it goes from those like big the big arteries into the little veins and capillaries right to the you know right to the ends of all the all the bits of the body and you know every little toe and every little finger is affected by what gets pumped out from that heart really and when you think about the great commission for example because it's easy for me for us to think oh great commission it's just all, all action and it is it's jesus sending us out the church his people out into uh, the world but would you say there's actually a real case for the importance of theology right there in the great commission like who is the god that we're, we're baptizing people uh into you know uh, yeah. what is the gospel that we go out to proclaim how do we teach one another to obey all that jesus commanded could you comment a little bit on that relationship to maybe the great commission uh and and d- discipleship and theology yeah i guess i guess part of the um part of what feels like a tension there is just that the word theology has its own kind of rings or different different bells for for different people i guess and for for many people um it rings a kind of boring bell of like this is it's you know it's okay for some people but it's probably a little bit boring and irrelevant um i think if we you know if you delve into what really what theology is for it's just about knowing god it's just about knowing god as as he's shown himself to be as as he's revealed himself to be in jesus and if we if we if we're doing that in some way then we're doing theology Mm -hmm. and so 
the yeah the question is what what is it you're baptizing people into what is it that they're being discipled uh by and through um in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit that gets mm. you just to who, who even is the god we're talking about mm. lots of people on the streets um all around this walk you know they know what the word god means in a sort of dictionary definition way um everyone's got a different idea though of exactly who god is and what he's like and we've got as christians a completely different and distinct thing to say about who our god is and right there in the great commission we're being told father son and spirit you, you can't you can't not you know you can't hear that and not do some theology because you're talking about being sent by jesus who is the son of the father the one filled with the spirit and discipleship is in, in, involves getting close to him and becoming more like him it's those two things are actually completely intertwined and it's maybe only in our maybe only in our minds that we go there's this academic thing called theology then there's this other probably more important thing um which is you know evangelism or discipleship and it's it's definitely been to the detriment of the church that um we've maybe accepted certainly in the modern western world we've accepted this slightly false distinction or or dichotomy between theology and mission theology and our practice um, the fact is you can't you can't have healthy fruitful mission without robust theology and and actually vice versa it's not a good theology if it's not overflowing in your life in you know joyful delighted mission it's a great quote actually from um, from john calvin people don't always think of him as like a uh, a big mission guy but um he's I don't know if it's a direct quote, actually, but it's a paraphrase, pretty much something Calvin said. A good missionary is a good theologian, and a good theologian is a good missionary. Mm. Um, and that's something that um, I've certainly pondered quite a lot recently. Um, if my, if my, if what I think of as knowing God doesn't overflow into my life in, you know, a really natural, easy, happy sharing of Him with other people in some way then I probably I'm not really knowing God as he truly is. I've probably got some other view of him in my mind that makes me a bit more kind of shut up and closed off and maybe a bit more like self-involved. If I really knew the God who sent his son into the world to give his life for me and I was really enjoying that, I would be a bit more like that. Um, and then likewise, you know, the opposite, opposite is true that, um, mission that doesn't know god truly mission that's just practical you know we've got to get this done come on guys let's we got we just got to get out there and do something you're just gonna have a load of worn out people who are actually being fueled by knowing god knowing his love for them um you know soaking themselves every day in the the truth and the goodness and the beauty of christ if that's not happening you you might you might kind of get a little bit of enthusiasm out of people for a while and they'll kind of feel like yeah there's a kind of vision i can buy into here got a certain amount of energy to spend on it then they'll be like i'm, I'm just done with it now uh you know I've, I've given you a couple of years as a small group leader and uh i'm just i've just run dry you know i've led my missional community for a bit seen a few people come in but I, I just got to stop. Yeah, the only way to like really fuel people in mission is that they know the God who is the one who's already this sort of outgoing, outshining, self-giving God, and to like know Him better and better all the time, every day. So good, good missionaries have to be good theologians, and good theologians are by nature, if they are really good theologians, good missionaries as well. Oh, I love that, man! I love that, and it's it's truly believing that Jesus is 
the bread of life, that yeah. he is the one that we're made for, and he's for us. And I, I just looked at your Twitter, uh, your Twitter page earlier, actually, and you, you'd put a little um, tweet out that said this, Preacher, don't get into the pulpit without having first met Jesus. And I was actually preparing for a sermon on Sunday. I was like, I've got to get out and just <laughs> spend some time with Jesus. Yeah. Um, that was so good. But I absolutely love that. But perhaps just a kind of a practical comment on, you know, for those listening, whether they're church planters, church leaders, church members, in a kind of busy and hurried world and busy and hurried lives, other than checking out Union Theology website, mm-hmm. have you got some advice on how we can kind of build theological reflection into, into our lives and into our church lives? Mm, well, great question. Um, I think there's all kinds of um, small kind of uh, what people call the low-hanging fruit. I don't know that's a phrase. Um, you know, yeah, you, you can get on social media and find great little tidbits and you can find articles. So yeah, do get on unionpublishing.org. There'll be stuff mm-hmm. there. You know, we hope and pray will be great for you. There's stacks of books around um, that that will feed you and all of that stuff. You know that it's a it's a privilege to live in the time that we are. Maybe you know, maybe could it be no generation of church planters in the history of the world have ever had quite depth of you know resources and support that maybe we have today. Um, so that's such a blessing. But I I think that. I think I want to say don't don't just go for that low hanging stuff. Um, I think, counterintuitive as it might sound, even in the like in the trenches of just planting a new church with all of the um, uh, the massive daily demands of that, maybe you know you're doing it on your own or just maybe with your spouse or a really little team of you know crack commandos <laughs> off into the mess to like start. Like it might seem really counterintuitive amidst all those pressures, but it it has got to be setting aside real time to be with God, to enjoy the love of Christ for you. And it's even as well, you know, to find stuff that is not, you know, top 10 resources on keeping going well, church planting, like get past the, 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 um, the instinct and the desire for it to be like really obviously easily applied to the practical stuff of what you're doing. Um, the, uh, the only, the only people who are going to survive what you're trying to do if you're planting a church are people who more than anything, I'm thinking of Jesus in John 15, more than anything, abide in the vine. Mm. The bear fruit, you, you have to, you have to be close to him. And that means just doing basic Christian stuff. There's not, there's not like a specialist, um, you know, a specialist sort of, church plans a spirituality track it's it's just just getting to be with christ mm. um, asking daily for him to fill you with his spirit asking daily that the same spirit would pour out the love of the father in your heart and delighting that you're a much loved son much loved daughter not by anything you do but because of what jesus has already done for you mm. can there be any advice that goes any deeper than that i don't, oh, no I don't think so um, oh. So there's no magic, is there, to that? It, it's just do do stuff that every Christian has to do. Um, but if you've got responsibilities to lead, you know, you've got you you've got to put those roots down even deeper. Mm. Um, yeah, that's such good advice, mate. Such good advice. And I think it's tempting, especially in the church planting world, to just do more, do more, do more, do more. 
I was reading uh, something from Spurgeon earlier, uh, and he just says, in the long run, we'll do more by sometimes doing less. Yeah, but it's what yeah. that less is, isn't it? It's yeah. always sitting at the feet of Jesus and yeah. our, our lives and our ministry flowing from having received life and ex- from him yeah. uh, and experienced him each day. I think I think I would say you know don't don't be afraid to get into theology. You know everyone's got a slightly different sort of tolerance for you know how long how long are the books you like to read? You know how detailed do you like to get? You know some people some people like me would love that. You know I I have to kind of confess there's a bit of me that's a bit of a nerd, so I really don't mind that. I know a lot of people who think it's harder to read. I don't really feel like you know getting into the deep theology stuff is really for me. That, that's fine. Like. I say find find what's you know what's the kind of the right you know the right level for you to sort of jump in with and but whatever that is give yourself to it because that there's there's no end to the growing we can do you know when we're when we're in the vine and we're abiding in Christ there's no end to the growing we can do and uh, just a one little practical thing is someone once said to me and I, I found this so helpful is it can be really good to always have something, even if it's something small on the go, that actually seems completely irrelevant. Um, so, you know, read read a look. If you're, if you're planning a church and all you're thinking about is, you know, what is church? How do I pastor people? How do you, you know, bring Jesus to places where he's, you know, he's never been known before? That's mm. what's on your mind. Then read something completely different as mm. well. Just have something going that's, you know, I don't know. Some some little bit of theology that's not connected because the fact is you'll find it is connected. Oh yeah, um, it, there will be there will be some little enlightening little ray of light, some um, some lovely little piece of wisdom that you'll find will serve you in ways you might not expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pick pick up you know something like Athanasius on the Incarnation. Read read this just a little early church writer not very many pages really easy to read and you might be like oh, that's totally relevant to my ministry today and you start and you go ah oh, this is the most relevant thing <laughs> to my yes. ministry that i could have imagined and uh, yeah, yeah that, that is a good piece of advice look, look don't don't just stick to you um, trying to resource what you're doing in a really direct way like get outside the bound the, the bounds of your own thinking and the tracks you've been running on and yeah f- find something that will feed you from a completely different angle Oh, so good. And I was actually thinking of Athanasius on the Incarnation because a few years ago I ran a little theology class and uh, we read on the Incarnation together and you sort of, mm-hmm. you put it out there and, it, you know, the, the temptation might be to say, oh, that's a you know, really old book. It's going to be completely inaccessible and irrelevant. And what the group found was, one, it was completely relevant and two, it was really accessible. And that's obviously um, credit to the, the translator there. But uh, we, we need not be scared by some of these old books, right? No, no not at all. <laughs> Well, look, Dan, you're a church historian. And yet one of the things I've heard in, in planting circles when thinking about this kind of crisis of the church in the UK is something that goes like this. What we need is a return to the early church, mm. to which I, I want to respond with a hearty amen. Amen. Um, but when that gets fleshed out, often what's meant is, is really this stripping back and this stripping away of liturgy, sacraments, perhaps the liturgical year, theology, even preaching at times, in preference of this informal approach that sees preaching replaced with conversations and sacraments replaced with coffee and croissants. Mm. Is that too harsh? <laughs> I don't know. But would it be right? <laughs> would it be right uh, to say that a return to the early church, a return to that life of the early church, might not be what some people think? Yeah, I think that is right. And um, I've certainly heard a lot of the same kind of stuff. Um, 
Uh, are you caricaturing it? I mean, maybe a tiny bit, like barely. <laughs> I, think so. I think that's certainly happening in some places, isn't it? Um, I think often what's going on when people speak like that is, um, is if off. I don't know if this. I don't know if this is what you've heard, Sam. But often I think people have got their eyes on Acts chapter two. You know, just after mm. Pentecost, you've had um, you've had the sort of the disruption of the ministry of Jesus into sort of fusty, self righteous Israelite religion, and you've had this, you know, amazing. Mm cross resurrection ascension then the holy spirit is put out at pentecost and it's like oh there's this whole new thing which is just like smashing through human institutions and all mm. of the old stuff that's all man-made and suddenly there in acts 2 you've got you know loads of people being saved signs and wonders are happening everywhere and um it seems yeah a bit anti-institutional we're like we're going to meet in our homes we're going to share goods and possessions and it's all like this sort of simple purity and it all seems like it's very exciting and there's some none of that is necessarily wrong but i just wonder if sometimes we oh, maybe do we just interpret that a little bit through the lenses of like later like political views and ideas and maybe through the lens of our own frustration with sometimes how church has been done mm-hmm. particularly particularly those of us in um, in countries where the church has been around for hundreds of years and it's had time to sort of you know get gather the dust of you know we, you know, we actually fight over who's on the flower rotors, you know, in that week or, you know, who, who's going to be elected church warden. And there's kind of battles that happen in the, like in your little parish church. And some people just think, oh, just, just break away from that. And we'll get back to Acts 2. And it's like, as you say, it's just strip away all the details. And it's it's so appealing. But I just wonder if we're in danger of a, a bit of a selective reading of Acts chapter 2. Um, that chapter actually does give us a pretty pretty deep and rich picture of what the early church were doing um top top of the list is they were dedicated themselves to the apostles teaching mm. and that means it means like we've spoken about it means doctrine it means theology it means looking out for what am i teaching and is that close to what the apostles mm. teach in the new testament uh, or is it different and how do i make sure that i stick close to it um as soon as you're doing that as soon as you're saying to yourself you know when i teach on sunday in my church whatever the format um is it what scripture says you're a theologian so you're doing it and and you do it's right to be doing it that's right there in acts 2 um they meet together yet i find it interesting they meet together in the temple courts in acts 2 i don't know how much you can read into that but maybe numbers are too large just for being in the living room like you say with a pastry they're meeting in the temple courts at least that they're at least piggybacking on that old institutional setup um and then Acts 2, of course, 3,000 people did get baptised in yeah. one day. Like, that's quite a lot. There's maybe a bit of a mega church there, even if it maybe then did break down into like smaller fellowships as well. Um, you mentioned sacraments. Both of them are there in, uh, in Acts 2. The, there's mm. um, the breaking of bread together and there's those baptisms. So both both the sacraments are there in Acts 2. They're, they're, ta- they're taking them really seriously. Um, we don't get a lot of insight right in that chapter about exactly how they're kind of carried out and everything that everyone believed about it but they're there like that's right there in the picture and yeah it would be it would be foolish of us to sort of chuck chuck off baptism and communion just for the sake of trying to be simpler and those things are right at the heart of it and it talks about praising god as well which i don't know are we reading too much into talk about corporate worship there perhaps not um jesus and the disciples sang hymns together we know that from the gospels 
Uh, and that just seems like some of the stuff that we might be tempted to sort of chuck off as the accretions of just tr tr traditions and, you know, man-made ideas and stuff is actually happening there in the early church. And um, even, even when we get beyond scripture into some of the descriptions of early church worship from later writers, I'm thinking of people like Justin Martyr and others, um, they describe stuff which is actually largely just been carried on through the church since then, including preaching, including the sacraments. Um, and really all 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 of that stuff is for, you know, is we're not we're not we're not kind of just trying to preserve the way of doing stuff because um, you know, we just we just like tradition. Um, or even that just because the Bible tells us to, even those things are all designed to do what we've really been talking about all along, which is to keep yeah. Jesus right at the center of it. Yeah. Um, if we want Jesus to be at the center of it, we we really got to hear his word, like not, not just have a conversation. You know, the, the danger of having a conversation, you know, I can have a conversation anytime in my living room with some mates and we could just be pulling our ignorance. You know, it might be a really enlightening conversation one day, but the next day we might all be you know, talking absolute nonsense. Yeah. If, you want, if you want to keep Jesus at the center, I want to know what he says. And so someone has to open up the scriptures and I want someone to do that. Who's going to open up the scriptures in a way that's faithful to them. So we need some kind of preaching, whatever, however that works. Um, I want to actually receive Jesus for myself and be, be relying on him for my life. And that means I want to receive communion. That's one of the ways he's given us to receive his body and his blood. Um, again, the early church are, maybe put more emphasis on communion than, than certainly than most evangelicals would today. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole historical story we probably can't get into, but we think of it as a sort of a helpful reminder of the death of Jesus. And it might be something we might be able to ditch if, it, if it's a bit of a faff, you know, to try and you know, try and find a communion set for your church plant, you know, maybe newcomers to church will find that all a bit weird and sort of ritualistic the early church if we we're actually going to get back to the early church they took it so seriously they'd speak about it as the life-giving blessing to to receive into ourselves the body and blood of christ it's a way that we receive jesus afresh and sort of take into ourselves his life and his promises and his goodness and just the gospel over and over again and so, yeah, it's it's strange. It might be strange to us because we we might look at Acts two through certain lenses, but when we when we try to you know, remove those lenses, and when we try and consider the way the early church did organize themselves and behave themselves, some of the stuff that we might think of as useless traditions are actually just ways of keeping Christ really central and actually being with Him week week by week and day by day. So good, so good. And so we want to say then that the way that ancient Israel organized themselves and what they did was to keep Christ at the center mm -hmm. and the way that we as church organize ourselves and what we do is all about keeping Christ at the center. And so when the church of England defines church as where the word of God is preached and the sacraments duly administered, that's, that's because this is where we, in, these places are where we encounter Christ. And it's, it's saying we want to keep him at the very center of our life. Yeah, exactly. And as you say, that's, that's been the case, Old Testament and new, you know, we talk about the the centrality of the word of God in sort of proclamation and preaching. And that's what, that's the whole ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, we might, we, we kind of go, yeah, prophets all about just telling the future. 
but yeah they did they did quite a lot of that but the main thing they were doing was speaking about jesus you know whether that was expounding jesus in the law whether that was looking forward and and you know prophesying predicting his coming they're just talking about him all the time mm-hmm. and even the sacraments communion and baptism they both have their their kind of forerunners in in the old testament that same same realities are being spoken about probably everyone will have a slightly different take on it my view is um, circumcision is the old testament um kind of forerunner of baptism and the passover is the old testament forerunner of communion mm. um they as you say that they've all been ways of keeping jesus right at the center of of the life of the church whether it's old testament church or new testament church and yeah it's it's been it's been the kind of the conviction certainly of um of evangelical churches since the time of the reformation that um those things are absolutely central to um to church life uh calvin uh john calvin would say churches where the word of god is preached and heard and sacraments are administered according to Christ's institution a oh. couple of couple of key things um there's there's something a bit later on from that the belgic confession from 1561 um, they mention again the preaching of the gospel the administration of the sacraments and they also mention um church discipline being exercised um so that you know there's there's right order in the church and that um, you'd know how to deal with sin when it comes up in the church mm. so you could you could say you know these for the reformers back in the, the 16th century, um, when they were asking the question, what is church? They that was the question they really had to ask, because they were they were sort of peeling away from the institution of the church of the day that had been the, dom- the church of Rome had been the dominant force, you know, in the whole of the Middle Ages. And the, the reformers, guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, were beginning to peel away from that. And they had to ask themselves, are, are we not the church anymore like have mm. we have we kind of started our own thing mm. and those questions were kind of that's like that's a big question like have i have i walked away from what jesus is doing in the world because i don't agree with it and their answer was well the church isn't um defined by the kind of continuation of an institution and they cannot can i prove you know, as maybe as an ordained priest in the 1500s, can I prove that the guy who ordained me, you know, who put his hands on my head, maybe the hands on his head were a bishop, and the hands on his head and the hands on his head. And if I keep following those hands back, you know, I'll get to Peter and then I'll get to Jesus himself. That They were like, well, kind of cool, isn't it? But it doesn't, it doesn't like protect or mean anything um, if you're not close to Jesus and putting him at the center. And so they were like, well, maybe we've peeled away from an institution and it might have been a pretty, you know, continuous institution for hundreds and hundreds of years. But we believe a true church, the reformer said, is where the gospel is properly preached, truly and faithfully, where the sacraments are administered rightly. And perhaps that third one as well, where church discipline is being exercised. And they were like, even if it's just a few of us, that's what a true church is. Um, doesn't have to do with whether you're kind of under the authority of the Pope doesn't have to do with um, whether you can prove you know the, the kind of lineage of your your priest's ordination or whatever it's really about is Jesus at the center of your church in preaching in sacraments and in in, in uh, discipline and church government mm-hmm. I think that's pretty helpful 
yeah, they thought about these questions. They took them seriously. I think yeah. we should too, particularly in the, like post-pandemic. Sorry to just interrupt, but no, it's fine. You know, just I think their circumstances led them to ask those questions. And I think ours should as well. And, you yeah. know, the pandemic, there's been a lot of talk of online church. And, you know, we need to think seriously, what is church? Can we say that online church is church? I mean, those are the sorts of questions uh, we, we've had to ask uh, as a church this last couple of years. I think those who've listened to this podcast before will know my my answer there. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I, th- I was just going to say, and it sort of relates to this. Um, the, the scriptures are really seem to be so clear that the church is, um, reformers use this phrase, a creature of the word of God. Mm. The church is like formed by his his word, and by that we just don't mean like the church sort of somehow comes out of the bible or something we mean the church the church is created by god revealing himself and showing himself so thinking of um stuff i guess stuff like ephesians 5 that we're washed with water on the word that's that's what's our 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 cleansing our our coming into the christian life or peter speaks about being born um, of imperishable seed which is the word of god we're like we're born by this proclamation of Jesus. Jesus is the word, you know, Jesus is the revelation of God. We're, we're born by um, given spiritual life by coming to him and the spirit pours his life into us and grafts us into Christ. And that's what the church is. You know, if, if we've got our definition right, it's about Jesus first and foremost. And it's it's always then going to be that word that gave us our birth that created us. That's going to keep us going and sustain us in our life. Um, and that's why, you know, whatever sort of restrictions we have to live through, whatever our local challenges and difficulties, we want to find a way of getting the word at the center of our church. And again, it's just, let's be very, very clear about that. We don't just mean like, make sure you just tell people some stuff out of the Bible. We mean open the scriptures and, get people to jesus every time um, and be gathered around him and be drawing life from him and uh, yeah I, we could get a long time into the question of you know is online church real church i think the that the that greek word at the at the heart of definition of church is in the new testament and in the old testament actually when you when you look yeah. at the greek old testament at the time of jesus the word is the same um, both for the, the people in the wilderness with Moses and for these New Testament congregations is ecclesia. And it is, it is, it really is about people gathered, called out and gathered together. And that picture of us being a body, um, the bride of Christ, that all those things are, they are like really distinctly physical pictures of, of unity and being together and whole. And yeah, maybe we have to, we have to battle through, you know, sometimes barriers to meeting and all those things, but I really don't. I really don't want to say you know, what I've heard some people say. You know, if, if I'm just with a Christian friend sitting in Costa, and you know, we just we're both having a skinny latte and talk about Jesus, that's church. I, I, I'm just really not sure about that. I think is that a good thing? Yeah, definitely yeah. do that. Is it some kind of expression and outworking of the church? Yeah, probably. But it's that is not the definition of church, and so great as that is, and great as you know zoom was for keeping up a bit of contact when we couldn't meet um l- let's not pretend that that is the the fullness of the the glory and beauty of what is the church which is to be the ecclesia the called out gathered together body and bride of christ oh. amen to that and this this 
because it's gathering around Jesus, there's so much to be enjoyed. But look, we've been saying, you know, a return to the early church might not be what we often think. Um, and I think when people begin to read the early church uh, and read the stories of the early church, they they begin to to see that. Um, you know, we see that it's through certain practices and structures rooted in the Old Testament where Jesus is put at the centre, that that's what, what church is, what we've been talking about so far. Now, you're, you're a church historian, and I can't let you go uh, without asking this. Could you talk to us about church planting in, in church history? Yeah, yeah, it's worth it's worth picking up a few things, I guess. Um, it's almost impossible, I guess, not to mention in in Titus one, where Paul tells Titus to put elders in every town in Crete where he's established a church, and then um, there's a bit of discussion when Paul says put elders in every town. Does he mean um, specifically what in the Church of England we have as bishops, or does he mean something else? It maybe isn't entirely clear. What he's trying to do is say like get have this have a have like an outpost of the church, the universal body and bride of christ have an outpost of that like everywhere you can and um the early church did take that to heart you know we have the we don't have the scriptural evidence for this but tradition is pretty strong that um the the 12 apostles went really all over the mediterranean the middle east um probably as far as to india in one direction possibly even to the british isles in the other direction um which is amazing they just went everywhere because they thought well we want we want to establish new churches um and that that really has shaped how the church has been um you know it, you know in the old testament the um if you wanted to know and worship the god of israel you you kind of had to come in you had to like come from wherever you were and join the people of israel you had to go to the temple in jerusalem you had to go through a, a bunch of of like initiation things to, to come in to be part it was kind of a uh a sort of centralized kind of attractional thing you had to come in and be part of it travel up for the feasts and festivals all of that and something really um reversed that in particularly at pentecost i think where the holy spirit's poured out and the the the, the, the words of the prophet joel which peter picks up in acts 2 is that the holy spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh the spirit's going to be you know available to everyone everywhere and then that the believers are to go from jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and out, you know, out to the ends of the earth. And the, the church through church history has sort of demonstrated that. And it's not always been perfect. Sometimes the way the church has sort of sought to spread the gospel has been overly tied maybe to kind of political concerns and all of that. Um, and it's it's kind of murky at times, but it's really, it's really clear that it happened that the church had this sort of um, sort of spreading outwardly propulsive nature to it. So, you know, within the first 500 years or so of church history, you've got um, the key political towns and centres of the Roman Empire are all, you know, significant gospel centres. So Jerusalem obviously was always important, but then Rome and Constantinople, which were both like the kind of political centres, were massively Christian cities. Constantinople even was built like as a, like the architecture even was built as a Christian city. Um Places like Alexandria in Egypt and Antioch in Syria were like sort of sort of theological centers as well. People were uh, coming and going there. These are all places on, you know, like trade routes with like, political influence, and civic authority. And Christians were just getting there and founding schools of theology, um, 
trying to set up missionary movements, all kinds of stuff from these places. And so there's this just this clear like value that's like built in. Like we don't we almost we don't stay where we are and just keep this to ourselves, but we we push outwards. Um and we could you can even get on like in through church history to mention John Calvin a couple of times. He's an example. We in Union love to talk about this particular example of Calvin. Um people associate him with um you know theology of 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 uh, election predestination and so on maybe don't always think that he's particularly interested in evangelism because of that he's maybe if you're if you're john calvin maybe you're just going to sort of sit back in your chair and put your feet up and go well god god chooses who gets saved so we'll just chill but calvin actually um set up a, a theological college in geneva where he was a missionary and um his idea was to send out missionary pastors and uh it was a serious theological college. He called it his academy. And uh, he sent out um, thousands of pastor church planters with like serious theological education, particularly into France, where he was personally from. Um, and these were like, these were like commandos. They were like going into, it was really enemy territory. It was dangerous. Um, and he'd send them in with mini uh, miniature Bibles um, that could be hidden because the authorities would confiscate them. Um, actually little communion sets that you could like disassemble take apart hide it in the lining of your clothes and then put it back together and that's that's just interesting how how important they felt communion wow. was for planting a church um and there's a couple of great stats between 1555 and 1562 um something like 80 or 100 church planters were sent out from calvin's academy in geneva so like theologically trained equipped with all this stuff books ch- equipment to run your church and established they established something like over 2150 congregations in france we're talking about two million members in these new churches which they reckon is about 50 percent of france's upper middle class at the time 10 percent of the entire population um so i mean that is like that is like a serious church planting effort um from from geneva under under calvin they reckon in all um, in his academy that that like theology college come church planting hub they reckon something like po- probably up to 1500 missionary pastors just to go into france um, some of them went as far as um brazil actually some of those guys so that i just think that's that's such a cool example of someone who um tying together the theology the training the resourcing but then taken really seriously the need to to get the gospel out to plant new churches um and to send out you know to send out like really fearless men and women who would take the gospel there so encouraging mate you've thought about this stuff a lot what what are what are the top things that you would want to say to a a church planter a church planting team yeah i, I don't know if i'm allowed to do this sam but um I've actually just co-written a book on on the theme of um, it's a book called God Shines Forth, and I read it with with my colleague Mike Reeves, and uh, it's actually coming out in October, so it's not out quite yet. But um, it's called uh, so it's called God Shines Forth: How the Nature of God Shapes and Drives the Mission of the Church. And um, oh. I don't know if I'm allowed to plug it, but there we go. Definitely, um, <laughs> <laughs> we um, we just really we wrote that because we we wanted to tie together this idea of really knowing finding joy in god and that be the thing that that drives our mission um 
I think many Christians struggle with evangelism and mission, maybe find it's a bit of an awkward thing. Um, maybe there's quite a lot of guilt attached to it. Um, and I wonder if church planters are a bit different. And often maybe people who've sort of found some enthusiasm and drive and um, know what needs to be done and are really keen to get out and do it. And that's really very commendable. Um, and what we're saying in the book is um, let's not overlook all the stuff we've been speaking about, which is really to to put down deep roots into knowing who God is and his nature, because whatever we think he's like, we will replicate him in our own lives, in our families, in the churches we're planting. Um, if I can, maybe if I can actually give an example from the book, I don't know if this helps. Um, there's one little section I, I, I called it how to be a bad missionary. And um, it was actually based on John and Charles Wesley, who, um, you know, many of us would look to uh, brilliant, you know, brilliant missionaries, hymn writers, all that. So, so good. They had like a real, a, like a, a really distinct turning point, I think, in their lives. So if I can tell the story, if there's time, um, they were they were students at Oxford University in the, the 1720s. And they um, they founded this thing called the, the it was known as the Holy Club. And they'd like get together every week. They'd study the Bible. They'd like go around feeding orphans, visiting people in prison. Um, it was like really kind of earnest, spiritually serious young guys at uni. Um, they would fast on, I think, a couple of days a week till 3 p.m. Um, it was like real powerhouse of piety and, you know, loving the community. And no one was surprised when they like went off to be missionaries in the USA, John and Charles Wesley, these two brothers. Um, and um, they were like, they were surely going to be like the ultimate missionaries, like the ultimate church planters. And um, actually, it was their trip over there was a complete disaster. People hated their theology. Um, I think John got into trouble, like legally, he was going to he's going to get sued for something. People were saying to Charles, you should probably just go back home to England, you know, just go on <laughs> off you go. And they both came back to England eventually, just, you know, a few years later, I think, really burnt out and depressed and ill. And they both knew, like, individually, spiritually, things weren't as they should be. And I just I just wonder if a lot of church planters feel like that. Like we've done everything. Like we've tried, like we've we've committed everything to the Lord. The, the, those guys went abroad, you know, at a time when it wasn't just like jumping on a plane. They sailed across the ocean to get to the States. They they were used to like being spat at and have rotten fruit thrown at them and people hating them. They're used to all of that. Surely they could like surely they could make it through and like make something of this trip. You know, surely that if anyone was going to succeed, it would be them. And when they were sort of back at home in London, they were really asking, what on earth has happened? Like that should have been amazing. What has gone wrong? And uh, they both um perhaps we're getting into all the detail, but they both really found they didn't really know God properly in the first place. That's kind of the conclusion they, they came to. They got to hear some preaching and teaching, which really changed everything for them and it was it was really that they just heard the gospel properly mm. um so um charles this is an example charles had once said to a mate of his um, his friend had said how how do you hope to be saved and charles had said because i have used my best endeavors to serve god wow that's wow. what charles thought it was all about oh, so wow. you know, what was driving his missionary <laughs> it's like i've just oh, got to wow. do my best to serve god and that's how i know um and basically they heard John and Charles both probably heard the gospel 
um, that Jesus has done everything for them mm-hmm. in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It's like God, by God's grace that his son has come. He's taken away your sin. He saved you. And they just hadn't clicked with that properly. They'd not really ever got that, which is pretty tragic. But, you you know, you can be a missionary on the basis of not knowing the gospel. You can be a church planter who doesn't really know God. And what happened was that um, Charles one day was was born again. He realized he, he actually became a Christian and said he found peace with God. And just a few days later, Charles was also converted, like within days of each other. And he wrote that his heart was strangely warmed and said, I came to trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And he finally had assurance. And even though they'd had this lifestyle of like strict outward holiness and they'd studied the scriptures and they'd even crossed the ocean to be missionaries, they'd, they'd never actually known the love of God in Christ. And this transformation that they had once they came home that fueled something completely different. And the Wesleys became like a proper spiritual powerhouse in, in England. They they led a movement of, you know, real spiritual awakening and revival and health. And it was all because they, they kind of had first been bad missionaries, kind of sent out, pro- propelled by the wrong thing. And uh, when, when they truly met with Jesus, that all changed. And England was transformed because of it. Oh, glorious story. And we can find that and more in God Shines Forth coming out in October. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so excited for that. What a what an encouragement and what a challenge. And we started this episode with the thought of the crisis of the church, and it would be so tempting to think the answer is we do more. And we, I hope throughout this conversation, those listening have have heard loud and clear that that's not the answer. It's Jesus and him alone. Perhaps I could just end with reading the words of the Great Commission, which we've touched on. And just as, as, as I read this, perhaps anyone listening, we could just hear the conversation that we've had uh, and hear how that hopefully resonates with what's said here at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came And said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Dan, thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure we could have another few episodes chatting through this stuff there, but thank you so much for for sharing your time and your wisdom. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Sam. It's been really great to chat and uh, delve into these things together. And uh, yep, you can find more on that Union Theology website. Do check that out as well. And uh, thanks for listening and do tune in soon for another episode of the Didicate podcast. Thanks so much.